want to know the secret. If I could be a superhero, I would be awesome man. I'd fly around the world fighting crime. And for a segment in Secretly Awesome this week, we are going to talk about Pontypool. Pontypool is a 2008 Bruce McDonald horror film about a tiny town in rural Canada. The film focuses on Grant Mazzy, a fired shock jock in the Dom Imus vein, who ends up working as an announcer for the radio station in this tiny town. This is probably the greatest zombie movie ever made. Oh, it's up there. Yeah. Sorry. All three of us have seen it. But let me go through really quickly and kind of outline what happens over the course of the movie. Basically, if you imagine Orson Welles' War of the Worlds, but with zombies, and the entire thing just focuses on the radio announcer himself via the format of a movie, that's what you have. So it's a guy sitting in a soundproof booth getting report after report of zombie attacks. And they try to figure out what's going on in the town. And they come to the conclusion that words themselves, at the point in which they're understood by the listener, actually infect the listener and cause them to turn into zombies. Is it because it's ridiculous? No. Well, I, uh, I have to admit, like, the idea that it seems ridiculous to me is actually, I think, one of the reasons why I like it. Uh, we have so many movies that they've become kind of like a simulacrum of one another. I think the reason that I like the film is probably the same reason that you hate it. It's because it's so different from other zombie movies, even to the extent that the premise might seem a little ridiculous. Uh, the guy, Grant Mazzy, is stuck in this um, little it's a radio, radio studio. Right. The zombie premise is already ridiculous enough as it is, so why go further? Yeah. Well, why not? No, yeah, I, I would say the exact same thing. Why not go further? I just think it's a I, 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 like, How about this? Like, the answer to why not go further, you know, you can sum it up because it's like all the zombie movies, it's the same plot over and over again. This one has at least a different take on it. And, and it's, it's definitely beauty. subversive, and not only is it trying to say something clever, and you might argue that it's more clever than, than its own good, but when compared with a novel, or when com- companion with a novel, really, uh, it works. And if you're able to tease out what the filmmakers and the author, Tony Burgess, is trying to say, I think it's fucking brilliant. Is the movie better if you have also read the book? No. I, I read. I saw the movie first, then read the book. I okay, you've read the book. It, do you want to tell us about the book? Uh, it it's sort of the same sort of difference between uh, the the novel of World War Z versus the novel of, or the film version. I mean, there's significant variation. Uh, okay, I, I would say first and foremost, but you get a little the, more insight into. Yeah, it. the novel itself is called not just Pontypool. It's called Pontypool changes everything. everything. Which a lot of people, they watch a movie Pontypool and they see it as a cryptic text. Cryptic text is a phrase that academics use to mean that, like, there's a secret meaning behind things. Kind of like, you know, like you watch a Sixth Sense, you know, like there's a trick to it. And, oh my god, yeah, Bruce Willis's character is dead the whole time. Oh, what? Ruined it. Damn it. And, uh, but I mean, like, it's exquisitely well done. It's funny because Tony Burgess, you know, he's in the film, right? No. 
he actually, when they have the Lawrence of Arabia cast come in, there's this bizarre scene because the guy, is, his name is Grant Mazzy. He's supposed to be like the fired shock jock, and he wears this cowboy He's, hat. Yeah, analog for Don, Don Yeah, and he comes in, and he, he has a discussion with his producer at the beginning of the film that his philosophy behind radio is that he has to piss people off in order for them to call their brother or their friend or their preacher and tell them, listen to this station. Hey, listen to this asshole. Yeah. And so people come in and listen to it. And it's kind of funny because it sounds ridiculous, but people do this. I've heard anecdotes about people who listen to Howard Stern. It's like, oh, so, you, you know, you spend three hours a day listening to Howard Stern. Do you like him? No, I fucking hate that asshole. You know? Yeah, if I remember correctly, the people who liked him listened to him for about an hour a day. And the people who didn't like him listened to him for about three hours a day for the same exact reason. They wanted to hear what he was going to say next. Yeah, it's unreal, but at the same time, it makes total sense. Like we are talking about with the Dan Gilbert thing, you know, people who are upset by things that activates a part of us that is more passionate than positive, generic, stable, everyday things. Um, so the guy, Grant Massey, like his entire purpose to, uh, is to upset people so he can spread his broadcast in the exact same way a zombie virus is spread. <gasps> and so over the course of the film, um, he starts... Uh, trying to piece together what's going on outside of him. And he get, they get these reports from this guy, Ken Loney, who's supposed to be the sunshine chopper guy. It turns out later it's, you know, like you always hear on a, a the morning news, he's supposed to be a guy in a chopper. Yeah, he's got a Dodge Dart, and he sits on a hill and overlooks the town. That's right, that's right. But um, they, they hear the first reports of the zombie violence going on, and then they have these people show up who are supposed to be putting on a production of what they call Lawrence of Arabia. Y'all seen Lawrence of Arabia, the film? Right. A long time yes. ago. But, but it's like supposed to be like this local town play, but they show up in full garb, so it's a dress rehearsal or something. Yeah. And one of the guys is dressed exactly like Osama bin Laden. He's actually wearing robes and a bandolier of bullets, and he has an Uzi and Osama bin Laden would, beard and a turban. Yeah. Why would he have on. an Uzi for Lawrence of Arabia? Yeah. Right, right, right. That's, that's the point. I think like it sticks out intentionally. Like There's a reason why they did this. And so they go into the studio and they start recording one of their songs that they're doing for this small town production that they call Lawrence of Arabia. And it's funny because the guy who's supposed to be Lawrence of Arabia, the one who sings most of the song, that guy, you're right, he's wearing like a turban and he has glasses on. That's actually Tony Burgess himself, the guy who wrote the novel and the screenplay. If you think about Tony Burgess, you know, what does he represent? So, so it's supposed to be like the scene is, is what you're supposed to target in on. If you think about Tony Burgess himself, like, why is he there? Well, you know, what was Lawrence of Arabia? Have you all seen the film? Yeah. You know, it's supposed to be about an English guy who can't decide whether he's English or whether he is an Arab. Like, he's stuck between two worlds. Like, it's about the crossing over from one completely different world into another. You know, it's about transferring from one universe to another. And... If you think about the nature of language, it's the same that, way. That's, I, kind yeah. of, I kind of promised myself I was going to talk about like postmodern philosophy and stuff. But if oh, you ever read like, Jacques Lacan, they talk about you know the nature of not just the other, but the radical other. Like everyone around us, like we kind of pretend like we understand the words that each other is saying, but everyone is so completely distinct in their manner of understanding those words. You are a completely different creature from a completely different universe. You'll you know, find I say that many of the truths we cling to depend on a certain point of view. Yeah, like I say the word pig, 
And I'm thinking of like a brown hog. Bacon. And Jeff is thinking of, you know, like a pink cartoon. I'm thinking From bacon. Animal Farm. <laughs> I'm thinking bacon. And Buchanan is, okay, yeah. And, you know, Buchanan is thinking about a police officer. And somebody else is thinking about a messy person. <laughs> that was true. Yeah, yeah. You're a mind it's, reader. Right. So, like, language itself is continuously failing us. Like, it makes us feel like we're bridging the gap from one person to another. Yeah. And, you know, like, what are the bridges in this? Well, it opens with this voiceover, and it has this blue line going across the screen that's supposed to be showing, like, you know, like, what do they call it where it shows you the person's voice? Uh, Waveform? The, the, okay, the waveform of um, Graham Azzi's voice. And originally, it was supposed to be that was going to be the entire film. Have you guys ever heard this? No. That it was just supposed to be the blue line with the waveform of his voice, and then they're going to film it like a radio play. That would have really kind of sucked. Yeah, well, actually, they um, have a radio play version of it. You can find it. I think the BBC formatted it, but it's um, on YouTube. It's like about an hour long. It's, it's about like a half hour shorter okay. than the film because they cut out all the scenes where there's no talking. Right, right, right. But it's just supposed to be like his radio broadcast and stuff. Uh, but the thing was designed initially as a radio play. That was how it was immediately, you know, First yeah. engendered in Tony Burgess's All right, mind, so, uh, eventually evolved into a movie. Uh, yeah, as far as the language thing, I mean, everything is sort of isolated with these terms of endearment. and Well, that's one of the theories they come up with. But it's interesting because I think everything is supposed to center around Grant Massey himself. Because the terms of endearment, like what is the first one that they hear? It takes place on Valentine's Day yep. of all days. And they end up with this idea that it's the terms of endearment are infecting people. So if you call your wife honey, that it's turning her into a zombie somehow. Boy, that writer must have been burned by in love. Maybe. But but I mean like think about like this. But of it's so commonplace. Yeah, like like what do you call what do you call, you know, someone you love? You call them honey Baby. or sweetie or sweetheart. Like these are all terms. It's funny because they're figurative terms that mean, like, you're so good, I could eat you. Like, honey, like, you physically taste sweet. Sweetheart. Yeah. You know, like, like a heart true. is something you eat out of an animal for sustenance. And sweet, like, it tastes good. Like, you call someone sweetie, like, you're saying, like, you physically taste good. Right. Which is bizarre, because and then the zombies come out, and they start literally eating you. Eating right. you. Like, like, it's like they misunderstand. And, and the, uh, like, the opening, the very opening shot of that movie is that miss, the missing cat poster right. of a cat named. Yeah. Honey. Honey. Oh. Like, yeah, it's supposed to start with off. He, he makes this announcement. And the gist of Grant Massey's initial announcement in the opening credits is supposed to be like, he talks about this lady whose name is Colette Piscine, and she crashes on a bridge in Pontypool. And the name of the bridge is the Pont du Floc, because it's Canadian, so everything is half English, half French. Of course. So, And uh, Colette is close to culotte, which is the French word for panty. And piscine is a word for pool, so pool. So the yep. lady's name is Panty Pool, and she crashes on the Pont du Floc, and Floc is another name in French for pool, so she crashes on the Pont du Pool yep. near the town of Ponty Pool. So, like, all the language in the beginning, it collapses into this one phrase, Ponty Pool, Ponty Pool, Ponty Pool. Yeah. And it's supposed to be, like, at the beginning of the film, you're like, what the fuck does Ponty Pool mean? People in Ponty Pool are like, well, that's the name of our town, eh? But we're all wheels. like, yeah, we're, we're, you know, we're all like, like, what the fuck? Who cares? And he gives us Norman Mailer quote about before the assassination of um, JFK, that there are all these bizarre coincidences. Have you guys heard about this stuff about, um, you know, uh, what's his face? You know, John Wilkes Booth killed 
Abraham Lincoln in a theater and then hid in a warehouse. But, um, uh, you know, what's his face? Uh, Lee Harvey. Lee Harvey. Lee Harvey uh, you know, Oswald killed Kennedy from a warehouse, but he'll, you know, hid in a theater. Yeah. And so, you know, like, there are these bizarre things. Um, Lincoln's secretary was um, Kennedy, and Kennedy's secretary was named Lincoln. Yeah, oh, Jesus. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Yes. So, you know, like, like it quotes this Norman Mailer thing. Uh, Mailer had written extensively. He actually had a book called Oswald, which was all supposed to be, you know, exploring how Oswald came to be the assassin of Kennedy. And um, so, like, it's a bizarre just clusterfuck of language, and that seems to be what originates everything. In fact, the guy, Grant Mazzi, is listening to this broadcast as he's driving into work one day, and it's supposed to be like a pre-recording from the previous day. You know, very early morning hours, and they're replaying what he said the previous day. And this lady, when he's at a stop sign, he, she comes up and starts pounding on the window, and he, he lowers the window, and this woman just says, blood, blood, blood. And he's like, what? And she's like, Blood. And then she just backs away into the darkness and disappears. It's like, who are you? And it just echoes with the woman saying, are you, are you, are you? She's supposed to be like the first victim in the town. Yeah. There is a baby present. Just in case you were wondering. All right. All right. So uh, I think that wraps up the... Uh yeah, so secretly awesome, and it's a fucking awesome movie, guys. Right, the guy's name is Grant or, Massey, which, I mean, like, Tony Burgess himself is a linguist, and he'd study not just, you know, like, the idea of, like, postmodern linguistic philosophy, but he also had studied a lot of pathologies related to uh, failure of language. So, like, I don't think it's out of line. Like, I went through it, and I was thinking about every name, almost, like, every word that's used in Pontypool. Like, the guy's name, the main character, his name is Grant Massey. Now, what does grant mean? You know, if you grant someone something, it means you give it to them. What does Mazzy mean? Well, it's derived from the word mice in medieval English, which means um, confusion or trouble. This is where we get the word maze from. So he's supposed to be the giver of confusion. Ooh. The woman, her name is Sydney Breyer. Oh, yeah. Sydney yes. is actually a name that uh, it's, it's related to English nobility. But it means sitter by the island, is what Sydney literally means. And briar is a word that means troubles. Like we talk about a briar patch. That's where it originally comes from. So she's sitter by the island of troubles. She's literally, most of the movie, she's sitting right outside of the booth where Grant Mazzy, the giver of confusion, is sitting. And like his entire thing is, you know, I want to piss people off and upset them. And um, so it's all about, you know, the use of language as a weapon and I think the scene we were talking about where Tony Burgess comes in, like, we can't discount it because it's supposed to, like, I mean, it's superlatively racist. I mean, how would you guys describe it? Like, they come in and it's like kids wearing black shoe yeah, yeah, polish right. to look like Arabs. On radio, yeah. mind you. So, so I'm kind of thinking, you know, like, uh, the Western sort of doctrine of hating Arab, you know, supposedly Muslim fundamentalists, this is supposed to be like an acute example of what they're talking about in Pontypool. But we like we subvert language to turn it into a weapon to use against others. Um double speak. Yeah, right. Exactly. So I, I think it's supposed to be that Well, Grant I mean Massey, they're just like, as far as like, you know, dropping leaflets on Iraq after the 2002. I mean this is the kind of thing that happens. Words as far back as we know have been used to subvert those in power. Yeah, they talk about change someone's perspective. I hate to be racist towards people who you know, served in 
military service for our country and so on and so forth. But I mean, like if you talk to people, you know, like Marines who've come back from Iraq and stuff, you know, like ask them, like, you know, what did you call the people? And you hear towel heads and camel jockeys, um, some, some, some surpassingly the, racist. The sniper things. guy called them savages. Savages, yeah. yeah. It, it, like we use the language itself to oppress these people, and um, it's kind of like Grant Massey is sort of the proprietor of of hateful, oppressive things because he knows it works. Yeah. He sort of becomes a central figure of this. He's kind of like the typhoid Mary because he never actually gets infected over the course of the film, but it seems like he's infecting everyone around him. Mm. All right. That's good, man. That's solid. Yeah. Um, hey, what did you, let me ask one more thing. What did you guys think of the epilogue at the very end, the code after the credits? Did you watch that? You know, hey. It's they're like in a restaurant and they're on some sort of like Bonnie and Clyde... Yeah, uh, it looks like something from a Tarantino film. Yeah, yeah it's, where it's bizarre. It's got, where it starts happening somewhere pretty far away, right? Yeah, it looks yeah. like it's in a sushi bar. They have all kinds of like bottles of sake. But and it's stuff like thousands of miles away. Well, you know, that's how it looks. And it's style, it's yeah. real stylized. It looks like something out of um, like Sin City or Three Hundred. It's got that that like stylized comic book look to it. Um, Even the dialogue is. Yeah, let me let me say something that really yeah. pisses me off. I've watched it a couple times on on Netflix on TV my actually television and you can see the ending when i watch it on my computer netflix cuts off the ending like halfway through the credits so you can't see the voice you can't hear the voiceover during the end credits yeah and you can't see the epilogue at the end either so like everyone like those of you listening to this right now and are like oh man Pool really is the best fucking zombie movie Damn make right. sure watch this shit on your tv because netflix will fuck you <laughs> they will deny you so the no, last not your tablet yeah, they'll, they'll deny you like the last three minutes of this film, which completely ruins it. But um, it, no, it has this great epilogue, and the the very end of the film, they're trying to figure out like how do they subvert this virus, which is apparently caused by words, and the understanding of the word actually turns into a zombie. And um, the one girl, she gets Sydney, she gets a word stuck in her head. The word is kill, and she's like kill, 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 kill. And Grant is like no, um. Kill is kiss, kill is kiss. And he figures by confusing language in this kind of like Babylonian manner that he might be able to save her. And he does. And finally, it's a really great moment because she's like, this is my favorite moment in the movie, where she's like, like, kill is kiss, kill is kiss, kill is kiss. And she's like, Grant, kill me. And then they start making out. Yeah. I fucking love that. Um, I think they're good. actually husband and wife in real life. Brian they are. Patty and the, the lady. Yeah, I mean, isn't that incredible? It was unfucking real how cool that moment was. It is. And then, um. Sydney Bride. Yeah, the end of the film, it, it's, it's strongly implied that they're both killed. And, um, then you have, like, this. Well, weird, that, you have all these... the, the, the repeat of the Sydney Bride is alive because that's, you know, that takes up most of that last, what, five, eight minutes of the movie? Right. Where they start, they start, Sydney they're trying to draw Breyer the zombies away, so they record, yeah, this phrase. And it's really, it's impossible to replicate how creepy it is. It's like, Sydney Breyer is alive. I know, like, I, I drop Sydney Breyer's alive, alive, and so few people get it. It yeah. makes me so, so but disheartened. It, but they broadcast this through the radio station, including the loudspeakers outside, and the zombies are kind of drawn to it, and this is sort of like their escape plan. But the epilogue after the film is weird, because, like, right before that, they have all these radio broadcasts talking about what had happened in Pawnee Pool. 
So it's people who are like, oh, yeah, I had a, a friend who was infected, and he said it was the craziest thing that ever happened to him. And it's all these like different radio cuts. Like, you're experiencing everything only through radio broadcasts. And it has this guy, Nigel, um, healing. It's kind of a brick from earlier in the film. He's supposed to be a BBC broadcaster. And he talks about events in Pontypool have settled. You know, Can Canadian riot police have come out and been able to quell the unrest in Pontypool. But then he starts repeating it. Pontypool. Oh, yeah. Pontypool. I remember that. Pontypool. Pontypool. And, it, like, it's, like, it gets hung up on the word, and it reminds me of the novel that Buchanan was talking about earlier. What is the actual title? Pontypool changes everything. I think it's supposed to be, like, that phrase. This is a, another failure of language. Like, you think the events of Pontypool, the zombie outbreak, is what affects everything. No, like, it's literally the word Pontypool fucks everything up. That's what changes everything, right. is the word Ponte, because it means anything you want it to mean. That was the opening voiceover that Grant Massey gave. And so, the BBC guy says Pontypool changes, he says Pontypool, and he gets hung up on the word, and then it cuts to the epilogue, and it's black and white, with Grant Massey and Sidney Breyer sitting there, and she's wearing a kimono, and they're like in a sushi bar. Yeah. And it's like this weird, like you see snow outside, but it looks like a window that's projected. It looks like a, a giant flat screen TV. It's very stylized. Everything's black and white. And they talk about, um, I can't remember if it's Sidney or if it's uh, Grant himself, talks about, I think it's Grant. He says, um... You know, everyone spends all of their time trying to figure out black and white. It, what does he say exactly? He says, leaving the world behind to figure out what they believe is black and white. The only other black and white scene you see in the film is the, is remember this? It's the obituaries. There's a segment that's like the midpoint of the film. Oh, they start giving right. these like imaginary obituaries, which are impossible for the people in the studio to know. Yeah, yeah. Like, like, even some of the last names are Drummond, which is the name of the engineering girl who works in the studio. She's supposed to be um, a veteran of Afghanistan. Right. And her name is Drummond. So, so it's like, obviously, like they don't actually know the names of these people. It's just like this a weird obituary. It's almost like somebody gave him a script, like Ron Burgundy. Like, they gave him a script to read, but he doesn't actually know what the words mean. Yeah. But they go through this obituary, and then at the end, you see it's stylized in the same way. Except it's a little weirder. It's almost kind of like a hipster, like Tarantino-esque kind of thing. Yeah. And they talk about like everybody trying to figure out what's black and white. And like, what does black and white represent? Well, you know, it's death. It's death itself. Mm -hmm. And uh, they talk about, you know, like, we're going to go out into the world and we're going to change everything. Fuck the establishment. And they talk about they have to give each other new names. And so Grant Mazzy, he gets the new name Johnny Deadeyes. And Sydney takes the name Lisa the Killer. And it's interesting because remember the, the kill is kiss part. You know, she doesn't want to be a killer. She Lisa doesn't want to be doing kisser. the killing. Yeah. Huh? Lisa the Kisser. Yeah, Lisa the Kisser. You know, Lisa the Lover. And, um. Reminds me of the George Carlin bit. You know, imagine if we switched all the. You know, switched fuck, uh, fuck for kill. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. right, right. Get on off that hair, uh, that hair. Get on down off that horse, sheriff. We're fixing to fuck you now. <laughs> but you know, it's weird because it's sort of like if Grant Mazzy is the ground zero for everything, he's been literally the killer the entire film. But this final subversion 
that you know the end, the producer of the show becomes the killer and he becomes dead eyes he becomes the killed and then you know what's the very end of the film she starts to talk and he goes Shh. is that where you get that from it's and, i mean it's not even like s h h h a it's like s h he's like Shh. yeah and that's it and then it cuts to fiend f i n that's the end. And they make a big point over the course of the film. There's supposed to be these Canadian troops, you know, who speak Coming French in, or right. descending on them. Yeah, the English is the perversion English itself. is the yeah. infected language. So, that, you know, like, that's the less English you get in the thing. Is And then it's, it's French. And right. that's the end of the film. All right. I think that wraps, wraps up uh, Secretly Awesome. And, uh, ladies and gentlemen, it's pretty fucking awesome. I would just like to say, Shamu, the fucker whale. I love George Carlin. You talk too much, you worry me to death. You talk too much, you even worry my pet. You just talk.